What's up, everybody? Welcome back to what is bound to be one of our most jam-packed episodes we've done thus far. We have so many things to talk about, Drew, and for two guys who like to hear themselves talk, that may not be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rusty, it's been a it's been a big week since we last talked. Uh, I'm holding down the fort here in North Mississippi. Me and my dog here, Ted, are hanging out, and we're ready for a full night of podcasting to talk about all the sports topics of the week. And um, let's just get after it. Where do you see us starting here? Well, first of all, you know, we like to start the show on a positive note. We like to bring in good news to our listeners in a world that is not filled with the best of news all the time. Uh, Drew, did you see DeMar Hamlin was a full participant in OTAs this week. I did see that. And, you know, I'm not to sound jaded, but it was kind of expected. He did. I did see earlier where he got full medical clearance. Now, what you wonder about is, you know, you may be physically cleared to go, but when you go through a trauma like that in your head, are you comfortable committing to it? Because you know as well as I do, when you get into sports, you really hurt yourself when you start hesitating. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, to see that he is, one, physically healthy is a miracle, and that he is mentally ready to go back, is it was just a great story. Uh, I can't wait to see what the Bills go off with to start, uh, how they start the season, how he his role is on that team uh, to start the season. And um, I really kind of thought he was maybe a dark horse for the Madden 2024 cover. I think they dropped the ball on that, pun intended. That that was that was the home run everybody would have loved DeMar Hamlin on the cover of Madden. Yeah, I I agree with you. However, like from a fan, I was like, yeah, that's a cool story. But when you look back at like Madden covers in 15 years, you're going to be like, oh, that was the guy that almost died playing football. <laughs> you know, I don't think the NFL wanted that to be remembered long term for a, a sport that is you know underwent so much scrutiny for head injuries sure and just being the most physical contact <laughs> sport of all time uh for them to put the guy that had a heart attack on the field because he got hit in the chest on the madden cover probably the the probably the only people it didn't sit well with are the ones in the nfl that make the decisions you know <laughs> yeah you're probably right don't want to bring attention to the violence of the game but a feel-good story nonetheless. DeMar Hamlin is back practicing. I'm curious, like you said, to see what his role will officially be. But any kind of football, any kind of role for that team in that secondary is a huge win for him, for the medical community, for sport, sporting fans, and just people at large. Just a great feel-good story. I remember when it happened, it kind of united the country. Everybody came in and was, was rooting for DeMar Hamlin and to see him pulling through and getting back on the practice field is a massive win that we all needed in this day and time. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I speak for most of America that, you know, when you look back at the traumatic injuries that have stood the test of time, when it, that stays in the, in the minds of people, you know, you think of Joe Theismann or, or Kevin Ware and, uh, you know, who, who played for Louisville and the, who broke his leg in the NCAA tournament. There's a lot of, once you think about, there's not been one scarier than DeMar Hamlin getting CPR on the field during an NFL, a Thursday night football game or Monday yeah. night football game in the NFL. 
him and Ryan Shazier are the only two that I've seen in my right. lifetime that really made my heart stop. Because Shazier, remember, just collapsed in the middle of the field with that neck injury. And good to see him doing well as well. But, yeah, yeah I Chucky agree. Mullins, is, for Ole Miss fans mm-hmm. who are a little older, I uh, believe that was in the late 80s when Chucky Mullins broke his neck against Vanderbilt um, trying to tackle a Vanderbilt tight end. Great 30 behind. for 30 about that, by the way. Or was it a, yeah. was the SEC short, whatever it was, at ESPN? Yeah, yeah it was, really, I think really it was good. one of the SEC nation or like the SEC ones. Uh, mm-hmm. What was it called? Uh, Never Quit, I think Something is what like it was. That. Yeah. That's what's etched on his headstone, uh, right. his memorial right there where the team walks out. Yeah. They uh, they rub the bust before they come out of the stadium every mm-hmm. every week. Uh, it says never quit. I think it was something like that. Uh, I think it was. Yeah. Look it up if you if you're interested. Great story about a guy who's really bearing a lot of burdens that he shouldn't. Uh, that right. Chucky That Chucky told him not to. All right. So the story is told from the point of view from the Vanderbilt player whom Chucky Mullins hit. And it wasn't his fault by any means. Chucky Mullins lowered his head, hit him square in the back. Um, and basically a perfect perpendicular angle like just squared in the back broke his neck paralyzed him immediately but he carried a lot of guilt and shame with that to the point to where every year on the anniversary of the uh the, the accident the hit uh he goes to chucky mullins gravesite with a bucket of water and some rags and cleans his cleans his tombstone mm-hmm. um it's a it's a great story um and so I, i'd suggest like rusty said everybody go check it out yeah, worth watching. But uh, speaking of SEC football, man, the SEC came out with a kind of a controversial decision, more or less, deciding to stick with the eight-game conference opponents, which uh, every year, which a lot of the other conferences, if you look, the Big 12 plays nine or ten, the Pac-12, which may not be a, a viable conference much longer, plays nine or ten. The SEC ended up sticking with eight, which you know what that means we're going to get that la- next to last weekend of the season, right? Cupcake uh, another week. cupcake cupcake week yeah. is still a thing that's the week that alabama plays the citadel mississippi state plays alcorn state old miss plays wofford or mississippi valley state or whoever as a tune-up going into rivalry week to get that one more win to be bowl eligible which i can understand and from a revenue standpoint i understand how it helps the small schools it also helps from an injury standpoint you get your players some rest heading into the postseason but man i'm i'd love one more sec game and give me nine conference games I'd love to see it happen. I've seen some ways they did it uh, based on tier one, tier two type opponents, some different things. I don't know what you saw about that, Uncle Buck, but for me, I wanted one more conference game. Yeah, I think conference game is good for the fans. I think it's good for the for the conference when it comes to just entertainment. For It's good for the schools when it comes to just uh, the split of money. You know, It's going to draw more eyes to have a ninth game. Uh, it allows you at least, of course, the whole thing is probably going to change in 24 anyways when Oklahoma and Texas get here, which is probably the driving reason why they just tabled it for a year anyways. Sure. But, you know, right now, the SEC West, you know, it's, I believe the number is like 16 or 18 years in between the times when you don't get your normal East opponent at your home field. So like Ole Miss's normal East opponent is Vanderbilt. And so, say Georgia, the last time they're coming to Ole Miss this year, the last time Georgia would have been at Ole Miss was like 2006 or seven or something like that. It's forever. And so right. in adding another 
conference game means you're adding another game across divisions, which would allow you to see those teams more often, which I think is good. Yeah, I agree. That decision was, I mean, really the people that balked about this are the schools that you would expect. It was the schools that have a hard time getting to six wins as it is. You know, you're replacing a cupcake with an SEC school. And I take exception to the whole week 12 cupcake. We do have it this year, but last year, before Mississippi State, we played Arkansas. (laughs) So, uh, and that was Arkansas on the road, I believe. Which always has Ole Miss's number. Kooky things happen in that game. uh, Yeah, just... We won't talk about and that Ole Miss, they, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Yeah. At Arkansas, Ole Miss lost 27 to 42. You go play in Reynolds Razorback Stadium in November, and it's just stupid. It's just dumb. It's Absolutely. Just dumb. Yeah. So, for us, it's Tennessee. We don't play Tennessee all that often. I uh, played them when I was in, in there in 07. Didn't play them again for a number of years. Play them again in a couple of years. Be nice to see teams like that roll through Starkville again. Sure. And, and for me here on the East Coast, get them closer. You know, in Knoxville, we play at uh, South Carolina this year in September. So it's going to be hot as I'll get out in Columbia, but I'm going to be there. But again, that's not a, a road trip we've made in a while. So it'd be nice to get another conference game. And I agree. I think it's going to change once Texas and Oklahoma are there. But I'm curious to see how they'll set that up. Yeah, me too. Me too, because I think I'm hoping they go to pods or at least divisionless system, you know, get rid of the divisions altogether. Because once you get to 16 teams, if you're going to play 10 or nine SEC games, you're going to have to play seven SEC West games. So uh, you're really not fixing the problem of not seeing other teams you know you think about the college experience and i didn't do this when i was in college as you know i went to mississippi state i was not going to any games uh for two reasons screw them uh second reason i was in engineering school and had no time to do anything (laughs) remotely (laughs) looking like having a life you know uh but i know you when you were at mississippi state and most college kids love going to games uh occasionally you love traveling to games and so as an Ole Miss student or Mississippi State student, it would be awesome to go see great college towns like Athens, Georgia, mm-hmm. you know, and you've got to think you could stay in college as long as I was in college <laughs> and still not have that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got to travel to Morgantown, which was cool when I was in Starville and, you know, going to, to I went to Knoxville. We got to travel a lot and see a lot of cool places. And so getting some of that going again and now I get to add you know, Norman and, and Austin to that list for, for road games to go to and haven't been to Kyle Field yet. So it'll be nice to add some of those to the bucket list to go check some of those games out. But uh, going to yeah. Kyle Field is like walking in the commune in Waco <laughs> and just shaking the hand of David Koresh and being like, how you doing, sir? And he, you know what he'd reference. say to you? Howdy. Howdy. Fight Texas Aggie and do the little. <laughs> yeah. The little, the, the little, little two-hand finger gun. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that's like walking straight up into the cult and just yeah. shaking the leader's and hand. Just drinking with both hands out of the fire hydrant <laughs> is what that is. Yeah, yeah. The Kool-Aid uh, comes out of the water fountains ooh, there. Absolutely. So. Uh, but, Drew, I think it's time. Speaking of mergers, you're talking about the SEC expanding Speaking and adding in, adding in two new conference members. I'm making a connection here. Hang with me. Yeah. We had quite possibly one of the biggest merger announcements since the AFL-NFL back in the 60s that blew up yesterday morning 
with a text from my buddy Jake up in Boston saying, are you kidding? What is happening? And that's all he sent for a second to our golf group chat. And then all of a sudden he sent a screenshot with just the, all it said from the New York Times was live PGA merging. That's all it said. Right. And it set off a Twitter firestorm for the better part of eight hours leading up to the players only meeting last night that happened at four Eastern up in Canada where Jay Monahan walked in front of the firing squad as he was one of the only like five people in the world that knew this deal was coming and it's happening and fielded questions from the players. Drew, I, you and I were texting some yesterday, sending some tweets and videos back and forth. What was your initial reaction when you heard the news? I mean, I'm just like anybody else. Um, it was shocking to me, and it was not shocking that two golf leagues merged. You've got to know the whole backstory to this, and the backstory is if, like Ole Miss and Mississippi State football teams who obviously hate each other, and the two athletic directors just overnight decided to join the two teams together. Like nobody's happy. Mississippi State would be happy because they get to join the Ole Miss team. You know, Gosh, Mississippi yeah, State just live hey, in this that, scenario. Uh, where's yeah. that? Where's that Egg Bowl trophy? The Egg Bowl trophy. Yeah, congratulations. You okay. you were also eight and four. Hey, that's so. all right. One <laughs> of those. That's that win was one of the wins is, was a, in Oxford. <laughs> Taking that so, trophy back where it belongs. Yeah. So the Mississippi State live analogy is going to continue going. Uh, so the live guys were happy that they merged back with the PGA and for obvious reasons. I mean, they got a payday and then got to go back to their old jobs. And so the real shocking aspect of it was, is that when this whole thing was going down, Jay Monahan, the, uh, what is he? The commissioner, commissioner uh, of golf, essentially, I think something like that. Yeah. The commissioner of the PGA who is just berated anybody who joined live, you know, went as far to say as the Saudi-backed league also backed 9-11. I mean, he went all the way in to dissuade yeah. players from leaving in, to the point of calling in their, you know, calling out their patriotism. And calling in the families of the 9-11 victims. Like, there's a right. spokeswoman, her name's Terry. They put out a joint statement a year ago at this same event. He was interviewed by Jim Nance, and Jim Nance is nice whisper you know monotone that he uses anyway interviewed by him and sat out there and said basically if you take the the live deal you hate america right and so rules we'll, for thee, we'll, not for we'll me. go into the into some minutiae of it in just a second uh but ultimately despite having said all of these things that may or may not be true definitely you know leave a bad taste in your mouth if you mm-hmm. join but to do all all of this to speak out so publicly and so awfully of people who decided to leave for their various reasons, most of which is because they got paid. <laughs> uh, then in a backroom deal without anybody knowing, he basically sells the whole PGA to them. Yeah. The whole tournament, the whole tour, he he sells to the Saudis. He gave the they bought they got a board seat. They uh they get first right of refusal for any ad for any uh donations made or any ads given. I mean, every he handed the keys over to him for a massive payday, which is exactly what you know two dozen you know PGA tour members 
did and he talked so poorly about. Yeah, I mean, they were exactly 10 months apart. The letter to the PGA members who stayed about being loyal and not taking the blood money from the Saudis and all the things that came with that. 10 months later, he sends out another memo welcoming the Saudis and the live players back and how it's great for golf. And a lot of the players are kind of coming around to that idea today. You know, credit to Roy McIlroy, who really ended up being the scapegoat in this. He he consistently stuck his neck out for the PGA Tour. Got caught a lot of words that we will not repeat on this family podcast because of it. But stuck his neck out only to be stabbed in the back by the people he was defending. And it's just such a heel turn. It is such a – it's a Kevin Durant. It's a LeBron uh, – the, the decision show. It's a Shawn Michaels-level heel turn that we just made a 180-degree turn away because you can't take the Saudis' money, but I can take the Saudis' money is what it feels like to me. Well, and what it was in actuality, just to be real, we'll just talk about this in real terms for a second. He's the CEO, commissioner of the PGA. He's the big dog, big chief. And people were, what he, his mistake was, is he didn't address this issue immediately. Right. Early on, five, six, seven years ago, when they start, rumors started bubbling up, um, he took a hard line stance and said, we will not have anything to do with it. Anybody who leaves to join live will be banned from PGA tour events. The whole thing. What, what Jay Monahan did from that point forward, everything he said about nine 11 victims, about, you know, blood money, about, you know, ensuring the best product for the PGA. It had nothing to do with anything about, it had nothing to do with anything except for the fact he was trying to keep his players there. He did not care that it was Saudi backed. He cared that they were leaving. And what changed is that Saudi money was available to him. Yep. And there's no question in my opinion that for golf, for the PGA tour, this is a good thing. Absolutely. Because it pumps tons of money into it. It boosts the purse. It helps all PGA tour members or anybody who has a card on the PGA tour will benefit from this because of the, enormous bump they're going to get in pay yeah. you think guys like uh um harold varner jr you know he made no bones about it he was you know 75th ranked golfer in the pga tour they offered him nine figures well he's and he said this is money that i will never make i've got to make it yeah and so we're That's both big fans of people making money on this podcast, right? Because you've got a limited window. You know, the Tiger Woods, the Brooks Kepkas, the Roy McElroys that make millions and millions of dollars are few and far between. There's hundreds of more guys, thousands probably even across all tours that don't make, they scratch out a living. And if somebody comes and offers you like generational type money, you take it. Just a couple of the signing bonuses real quick to your point, Drew. Brooks Kepka had a $100 million upfront guaranteed sign-on bonus. Uh, DeChambeau was 125, DJ 150. Phil Mickelson had a $200 million upfront sign-on bonus. Right. He's got grandkids that he'll never meet that'll benefit from that money. Right. And people like Phil needed the money. Mm-hmm. Phil needed that money. Yeah. You know, Gambling. The story was out. Away. You know, he, he had he had made some very poor decisions that resulted in him having to part with his private jet. I mean, he was liquidating for yeah. cash. 
And so it, what overwhelmingly, my, so my first thought was, oh crap, I can't believe this happened. My second thought was, I feel terrible for the PGA Tour players who turned down the money. And now they are just going to, you know, just have to, they're forced into welcoming them back with open arms. And they've made, you know, some of them, 10, 15, 20 times more that they'll, than they'll ever make. Here's some numbers you know, for you. Tiger, who doesn't need the money, turned right. down $800 million. Right. Hideki Matsuyama turned down $400 million. Rom, $300 million. This one blows my mind. Willie Zalatoris, the young kid, fresh off out of college, turned down $130 million. And Sam Burns, $100 million. Yeah, uh, so Will Zalatoris I, is probably one of the worst stories of all of them. Yeah. Because Will Zalatoris, who last year had a run where he was finishing second in every single tournament, mm-hmm. uh, turned down that much money to stay true to the PGA Tour. And soon, you know, now that they're merging and welcoming back, he's dealing with a back injury that are, is going to keep him out for a long time, and he may never recover. He may be that guy. That may have been his last shot at real money. Yeah. You know, and that's that was not performance based money. That was a signing bonus, like you said. That was if you come, we will give you four hundred thousand dollars for Hideki Matsuyama or a hundred and twenty for Will Zalatoris. Like Okay, and then the the last thing I thought about was I feel terrible for Rory. Oh man. Because Rory was the guy who he was the PGA's poster child. He was the one who took the crown and sit, was the one with the gonads enough to stand up and talk out against what those people were doing and how they were harming golf, in his opinion. They were harming golf. They were taking blood money. It's not good for the sport. It's selfish. All that. He was the poster child. What He took all the arrows, and yesterday, Jay Monahan made him look like a fool. Yeah. He did, and Roy, to his credit, still is Team Monahan. He had some. He said he still hates Liv in his interview this morning, but that he thinks it's going to be the best for golf. He thinks that it's still going to be a great decision, much like you said earlier, Drew, where money's going to come in, where it's going to be a great influx of cash to make the tournaments and the tour better. It's going to be a good thing for golf once it's said and done. It's just ugly right now, and real quick, we'll go – kind of parlaying into that and we'll get your thought for sure uh of a listener and friend of the podcast aaron tenbeeran up in boston commented on our instagram post yesterday aaron thank you for reaching out this will 100 percent force players in the pga to create a union this wouldn't happen in today's mlb nba nfl because of strong player unions and i 100 percent agree in what has historically been called a players ran league None of the players had any idea this was coming. Okay, so maybe I don't understand how the PGA works. Uh, I don't know it well enough. I know that they are considered independent contractors and not employees. Right. So can you unionize given that status? Because it's a 501c6, so it's a weird like nonprofit-ish kind of – Taxes so, holding, which is funny because the DOJ could really upset the Apple card if they wanted to with this whole merger. What we got here? Uh-oh. 
If there's have- one thing, if there's one thing I can't stand, <laughs> it's a sorry electrical engineer and a sorry physical therapist who wait this long to get me on their podcast who I've been a daily consumer of. I mean, I feel so left out. I feel like I'm the ugly freshman being invited to the senior prom by the ugly junior who uh, that was her last resort. I tell you, I just fed up with it. Just, nothing grinds my gears more. I just can't say. <laughs> Everybody, we've got a surprise, a genuine surprise. Uh, Cousin Kirk has made his first appearance on Bob's podcast. Uh, Kirk, how's your day been? Oh, well, you know, I'm getting out here, you know, doing the public a good safety service, you know, trying to do my best to, you know, keep the highway safe and do what I can for the public. But you know what? You know what really grinds my gears is that these people – who go to these flea markets and these, you know, the the first Mondays at Ripley, and they put and they just they get all these animals and they come home and they decide, hey, we got too many animals, so what are we going to do with them? I know, let's just let them out on the side of the highway so people could just hit and run over, and then they call us and say, hey, I have a wreck report, and I'm like, well, okay, well I'll come out there and do your wreck report. Is this going to make my insurance go up? Yeah, it's going to make it go up. What? Well, what do you want me to do about it? I said, I don't know. Just call your record. Come get you. <laughs> so it sounds like you're not being much of a service to those people who just had their days ruined. Well, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. It just all depends on what the on what the chips may fall that day. Hmm. I think educating what? the public is also a is a good service, and sound like it's what you're doing with these people. You know, you know, education is very important, and I support education. I don't have much of it, but you know. <laughs> It's it's all there, you know. Swig swig a beer for the working man, y'all. I hope y'all having a great day. Before you go, tell me one more thing that's made you mad this week. One more thing that's made me mad this week. Mm. There's a lot. There's a lot. Hey, of things, hey, Kurt. There's how about how, how about people who drink seltzers? You put that on our Instagram post. What are your thoughts on oh, people who golly, drink seltzers? Golly, you know what? They got a first class trip on the train to hell because I don't understand why in the world would you want a seltzer beer? I mean, there's no part about that that just screams like, hey, I'm a functioning alcoholic, but I also like to have carbonation with it. I mean, just <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. I don't like it. I mean, it, they're a part of a cult, and that, that part of the cult believes that there was only one shooter on the grass, and oh, and I ain't got nothing for them. <laughs> How many shooters were there, cousin? Do what? How many shooters were there on the grassy knoll? Well, well, I tell you, well, I tell you the truth. The more studying I've been doing, and I've been doing a little bit of studying. I read this the other day on an article that they believed that there was up to four shooters. I think there was five, possibly. <laughs> now, it was an inside. It was an inside job. Now, granted, now there was only two people shooting, but there were five people at least knew about it. Mm-hmm. Well, you heard it here first, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah breaking news here. We're breaking news. I know news it's here. breaking news. <laughs> well, Kurt, Kurt, leave us with one last thought. Uh, tip your waitresses, uh, don't go home with strippers named Suzanne, and uh, watch your speed and wear your seatbelt. Have a great day, guys. <laughs> Appreciate Thanks. you, Kurt. <laughs> that is oh, our man. newest segment, the musings of a Mississippi Highway Patrolman, so hopefully y'all enjoyed that, and we will have plenty more where that came from. <laughs> don't go home with strippers named Susan. <laughs> that, Suzanne. I'm telling you, that's 
somebody who's never taken a stripper home. I know that for a fact will get you in some trouble. Absolutely. <laughs> so, oh, Rusty, you're going to have to make me remember where we're at. We were talking about a union in the uh, in the PGA like we have in other professional sports with our other podcast listener, oh, Aaron yeah. Shapiro. And you had mentioned the, uh, what did you say, a 501C6 or something? Mm-hmm. That's uh, how they the portion of the PGA that the they're actually forming a couple different organizations with this. And one of the organizations in which Liv is involved is actually a for-profit. Right. It's entity. the business side of it. So where do the players fit in this? Are they going to continue to be private contractors with just a huge pay raise? Then I don't see how they can unionize except for not, not recognizable union. I mean, they could all, band together and say we're not coming you know which but, <clears throat> like the electrical workers of america they're independent contractors that have a union and they just contract out to different jobs across the country had a close fair. friend uh michelle gifford that i worked with there at the hospital in corinth her husband was an independent contractor as an electrician and he'd go to nebraska wyoming texas tennessee wherever he was needed so like there is precedent there of independent contractors being a union uh-huh. and then just you know throwing their services out yeah, that's a fair point and one that I had not thought about. So good job on reporting the news. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's tricky. Uh, you will not be able to convince me that Roy McElroy and Tiger Woods did not know this was coming. They may I'm not gonna say that they were involved in any sort of negotiations, but you will not convince me that that they were not given a heads up that this was coming down the pike. And if you saw the full swing Netflix documentary cast caught it in real time. So I, we may find out that I'm wrong on this, but I don't, I don't see somebody uh, swinging a big a hammer as Roy McElroy was not getting a heads up. Well, did you see, did you watch uh, last weekend when Victor Hovland won the tournament and Jack Nicholas was at the at the green shaking hands with people that were coming off the the course. Did you see any of that? I did not. So I'm sure there's a clip of it somewhere. But when Rory walks up to him, Jack shakes his hand, and the camera is like right on top of him, right, capturing this cool moment of Jack welcoming Rory off the course, finishing his round. And Jack says to him, "We need to talk." That's all he said was, yeah. "We need to talk." And then Rory kept walking. Yeah, I mean, you could tell. I can. I believe that Rory knew. I do not believe that they include in Jack Nicholas. <laughs> no, but he may have heard it through the grapevine. <laughs> but that's the thing. There was no grapevine. That's the no. thing that was so shocking about this. When the report came out, CNBC had already had a pre-recorded interview with the Sheik from Saudi Arabia and Pat Monahan together at a sit-down interview that was pre-recorded prior to the right. announcement coming out. I mean, so Monahan said only five who? people in the world. He said there were five people that were in that room making this decision and knew what was happening. And I doubt Jack was one of them. <laughs> it, it's a master class in secrecy, if I'm being honest. And maybe if you're the Saudis, obviously you've got all the money in the world. And if you, you can buy secrecy, um, you know, they probably yeah. have an island they met at or something. I don't I don't know where they met, but it's yeah. impressive. Uh, uh, the, apparently it was London. They played golf in London and they met in London is what I heard. So you're telling me in a civilized part of the world in which everybody's got a camera, nobody found uh, the Saudi president. I can't. Yassir, I think is his name. Yeah, Yassir. Uh, 
and uh, Pat Monahan or Pat Monahan, Jay Monahan. <laughs> Pat Monahan is the lead singer of Train. He's that hanging out with Nick a, Nolte. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jay Monahan and Yasir playing golf together. Like, they how did. does that not leak out? They played golf together within the last month, is what I read on Twitter yesterday. So I don't know, yeah, so you know, Jay that Monahan was the meeting. Said, but. Jay Monahan said negotiations had been going on for the last seven weeks. I'm sure they they did not hammer all the details out over seven weeks together. Right. But they probably finalized it in London over, you know, nine holes or 18 holes, maybe. Here's another thought, Drew, and I know you've thought about this. I've thought about this a lot. What makes a, a ton of sense to me as well is you've got a, a, a country that is not one of the most upstanding in the world when it comes to humanitarian efforts. I think that's fair to say. Well, that's one way to put it, yeah. You could also <laughs> say they, them in China are like, the two worst <laughs> in case they're listening to man i ain't trying to get suicided here uh but you got these two and then you got suicide. the pga who suicide suicide is that the right word suicide yeah. sous vide <laughs> that's it sous vide <laughs> you got and then you got the pga who brings in a ton of cash that had multiple pending lawsuits multiple and what happens in a lawsuit right you pour over all financial documents you pour over all legal proceedings you go through every nook and cranny you have a Discovery. team of, right a team of lawyers from each side get access to your books what if both sides came together and said look we've got some dirty money here we've got some things that do not need to get aired in the court of public opinion much less an actual court where legal things could happen Let's let's figure out how we can make this work in a way that none of that has to be discovered. I think that's a real thing that happened. I think that is what happened. The number one cause of this merger. And it's not from Saudi. They don't have a public opinion to ruin, honestly. Right. Uh, it was the Saudis that were suing the PGA. And the PGA were going to have to open their books. And for a sport that the players even speak out about it. it's just not it's not ran in a way that is is good for us you know with them being private contractors no insurance they have no no idea how much money is coming in they only know what the purses are and that's basically all they're out of pocket you know yeah. and you know they're supposedly one of the most if not the most generous sports organizations when it comes to donating money to charities but nobody knows how much they don't know what charities what there's a lot of things that are unknown and there is no way in the world pat monahan who did not start this problem but he's definitely in charge of it now jay i'm sorry pat i'm not (laughs) trying pat if you want to come on the podcast and cuss me out i'd love to have you and the rest of train come on here and defend your honor i know you're you're probably a better person than jay monahan so i'm sorry (laughs) to keep calling you that but jay monahan did not start this organization did not set up the the uh business license the organizational structure for the PGA, but he's definitely in charge of it now and he's kept it going the way it is. And he did not want that to be leaked out. Do I think it's going to happen? No, but the department of justice could take special interest in this and open them up anyway, which would be just a whole kangaroo court. That would be very interesting to watch, particularly with our negative history with the Saudis and everything over the last couple of years that have been going on with some of the oil prices and oil 
production that they have been withholding from us. But the Saudis would not cooperate with a DOJ none. investigation. None whatsoever. And then they would leave the PGA out to dry for whatever dirty laundry they're trying to hide. Yeah, it's the PGA that's got the most to lose in yeah. opening up the books because they do have to cooperate. <laughs> Yeah, I think two things this boils down to. What this tells me is I saw a, a figure where like Tiger, John, Rom, Hideki, Rory, there was a group of them left like $2.1 billion on the table by staying loyal to the PGA and not going to live. I think what it tells me, Drew, is you got to look out for number one when it comes to your job. Because corporate Absolutely. ain't looking out for you. Your employers ain't looking out for you. They're looking out for themselves. And if corporate's telling you, hey, this may not be the best thing for you, that might be the time that you need to look and say, this might be a pretty good thing. Yeah, you know, that's – it's absolutely true. You see what happens when you take your boss's word for it. Uh, they are responsible for their company. Jay Monahan is responsible for the PGA. He's – his first – you know, his first responsibility is not to look after the players. And so he was doing, saying whatever he had to say to keep them from leaving. Yep. And it bit all of them in the rear end. And um, it's one of the most frustrating things. I can't imagine. Now, people can say, oh, they're professional athletes. A lot of them have more money than God. And that may be true for guys like Rory but and Tiger. But there's a lot of guys out there like – Zalatoris and Matsuyama and just name yeah. a, a dozen more. Max Homa, right? You know that that Work would have like all of them, yeah. Would have ten x their salary. Oh my gosh! If Ace and Power then, came to you and said, "Hey, we're going to give you ten times your salary," you go, <laughs> go go Power Ranger, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's just a shame. Ultimately, it's a shame for the players that stayed. But ultimately, I believe it landed in the right spot. Mm -hmm. And I think it landed in a spot that Jay Monahan, he's going to take his arrows. Uh, we've talked about the players-only meeting that got apparently very, very heated. And then he butchered, uh, butchered that interview today in response yeah. to the, the families of 9-11, man, butchered it. Yeah, and uh, he's going to take his arrows. But ultimately, what he's going to sit down and tell all these people is like, look, I know you feel like you've got you got screwed and that I was a hypocrite and you can make those arguments and the I hope he said that you're not totally wrong but what we've got now is a couple of you guys have become martyrs but the PGA tour now is stronger financially than it has ever been 20 years from now players that come up and play golf will make more money mm -hmm. Even the hundredth ranked player in the PGA will make more money. Will be able to do X, you know, whatever they want. You know, they'll have more security. Yeah, and and Liv can still pay some of those big salaries and still pull people away, and I think it'll still happen. But the those massive contracts, that money is going to be. It's not going to be as much. You know, there was those groundbreakers oh, that done. made that money. Liv well, so. Done. For the next two years, they still have an option. They're still going to be around for a couple of years. But, yes, eventually Liv will be just the business side of the Liv, and the PIF will be running the, the business side. Not sure what the DP World Tour is going to be, because they but they were part of this merger as well. Big winner. Big winner. Big winner. Yeah. Because um, now they're at the table. They're at the table with the big boy. 
Yeah, I'm going to say that the negotiations went about like this. Uh, we will merge the we will merge the leagues for this amount of money, given these, you know, 50 different conditions. One of those conditions that have to be met is that you will not poach any more PGA Tour players to play on live events. You will play out your schedule, and then we will incorporate live-style events within the PGA. We'll do the shotgun start, 54 whole weekends. We'll do some team stuff on smaller courses. Uh, but the, P- the live is dead yeah. after this season. Uh, you're, you're probably not wrong. They, they said that they could play out the 24-25 seasons, but uh, it much like the SEC merger, it's going to happen sooner than later. They're going to shut well, that down. Well, it's the offseason, so yeah. I'm assuming – for live the the next season is the 24 25 season so. yeah probably so uh yeah you're probably you're probably right we'll see how that kind of plays out uh one last comment before we really start diving into the nba uh buddy bowen put on our instagram page and wants to know how will this merger affect lebron's legacy <laughs> how will the live uh well i mean if you ask lebron he knew it was happening all along all you along know? There were two people that knew exactly how this situation was going to go down. LeBron James and Donald Trump. One of them's (laughs) lying, and one of them told the honest truth. Love him, hate him, whatever you think about Donald Trump politically. He nailed it. He He said, you better go get your money when you can, because when these two leagues merge, all these people who are staying loyal to the PGA will be thanked with a nice, crisp high five. 100 percent i mean he told him boys again like you said love him or hate him he was exactly right when lebron says in an interview in a couple of weeks after he announces that he is in fact not retiring uh (laughs) he when he says that he knew this was happening you know who was lying yeah (laughs) so you know you read some people read history books to learn uh lebron reads history books to insert himself in them (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and and the man's not even the best in his sport but anyway i digress speaking of basketball so before we dive into the nba finals which have been so far good basketball i mean game one was a bit of a bully fest which we talked about but uh, a couple big news items coming out of the nba today first about our own jaron jackson jr agreed to play in the FIBA World Championships in what's beginning to become a pretty stacked roster. How cool is it that one of our own, Trip, the Black Unicorn, is playing representing Team USA? Yeah, I mean, it's great. I don't think the Grizzlies have ever had an American play for so. a, the international team. And so you, you've been able to keep up with Mark on Spain, and I know that Santi Aldama is going to play on Spain's team this year. Uh, Dylan and Dylan's going to play for Canada. Uh, future former Grizzly Dylan Brooks, um, future Houston Rocket. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, it's awesome. And honestly, I kind of felt surprised about it and caught myself wondering why mm-hmm. the uh, two-time defending first team All NBA and the defending Defensive Player of the Year would not be invited. You know, it seems like right. common sense, does it not mm-hmm. to you? It, no, it does, but it just feels like, you know, we get crapped on in the media. Everybody wants us to trade Jai, and the Grizzlies need to fix our culture. And we get crapped on so much that it was, it felt so good that one of our own, especially Jaron, man, he's just such a good dude. Did you listen to the podcast P, the Paul George podcast interview with him? 
I've seen some clips. I've heard it's some highlights. So, like he's such a dude, man. He's just a humble, soft-spoken guy. Just a really easy guy to root for. He's and a he's good one guy. Of ours. I, yeah, he's a great. He's a great guy from a great family. Yeah. His daddy's a former NBA All-Star. He's now a. Uh, I believe did he go? Did he just take a job in college basketball? I think so. Uh, yeah. As an assistant coach. I can't remember where. His yeah. mom is the president of the WNBA Players Association. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's parents. You know, great parents raise toehead kids all the time. Look mm-hmm. at our parents, for instance. <laughs> yeah, look at us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they rate those great parents raised a kid with just a head full of common sense, a good dude. And a great basketball player. I, w- you know, you look back at like Dream Team, Redeem Team. You've got the superstars. You know, you've got George. You've got you. I mean, everybody. That's kind of the thing that's falling off with USA basketball lately. Is you don't have the cream of the crop. You don't have the LeBrons, and you don't have Harden. I mean, just go for days about mm-hmm. the superstars that choose not to play in it. Right. Even if they were to play in it, Jaron Jackson Jr. still deserved a spot on that team. 100%. And to see him get it is really cool. Just continue accolations for a great guy, a great season. Rustyism right there. Accolades. God, I knew it. It's all right. Accolations. <laughs> Accolations is a book in the Old Testament. Rusty. <laughs> I thought that was that mountain range on the eastern seaboard. Accolations. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, accolades for a, a great ball player and a better guy. So shout out to Tripp. Uh, grateful to see him getting the the due he gets. And then the other big NBA news before we get into the NBA Finals, and big-ish, is longtime Grizz nemesis, just hated Charmin Soft rival of the Memphis Grizzlies, dating back to Flop City, I mean Lob City, whatever they were. Chris Paul was released by the Phoenix Suns today to explore the free agent. Not Asian. released. Not released. So according to Sean Serrano, the tweet says, the Suns and Chris Paul are exploring multiple options, including a trade, stretching his contract, or waiving him and re-signing him in free agency. So basically what the Phoenix Suns have come to the conclusion is, one, Chris Paul is old. It's true. Um, Two, he's expensive and old. So... Whereas he is a good locker room guy, he's a leader, he's uh, in his past one of the greatest point guards to ever play, uh, also one of the biggest frauds of all time, I can't stand him, but that's a Grizzlies fan talking. Um, they are just going to explore any option possible to get off his money. Yeah. And uh, because of his status in the in the league and his you know stature as an all-timer, uh, former VP of I mean, former president of the Basketball Association, they are going to uh, do right by him and include him in this process, uh, which is the right thing to do. Uh, But, yeah, they're going to look at uh, multiple options, including trading, stretching his contract, the old Bobby Bonilla method Mm -hmm. about this. And uh, (laughs) they were even waiving him, which would be basically buying him out. Mm Mm-hmm. And then re-signing him to a lesser deal, which honestly sounds like the best idea if I'm Chris yeah, Paul. If I'm Chris Paul, you take the pay cut, you stay where you're known, you're wanted, and you know what your role is. And you still get like 85% of your yeah. current contract. And you're on a really good basketball team with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and not DeAndre Ayton anymore. Or soon to be yeah. not DeAndre Ayton. 
Well, and they made a hire too uh, since the yeah. last time we spoke. The Phoenix Suns were the last team available with a job opening available, and that job opening went to Frank Vogel. Uh, Frank Vogel, who many moons ago I wanted to be the coach of the Grizzlies after he was uh, let go of Indiana Indiana, uh, after making back-to-back conference finals with Paul George and Danny Granger. Mm -hmm. Um, He was let go, and, I mean, LeBron laid waste to them. It was a LeBron firing. That was peak LeBron in Cleveland that he couldn't get past LeBron, but nobody could. Um, And so I wanted Frank Vogel to pick the Grizzlies over the Magic, but he picked the Magic, and you see how that ended for him. But since the Magic, he won a championship with the Lakers in the bubble in 2020. And uh, now he he fell victim to LeBron again. You know, LeBron wanted him fired. And so LeBron fired him as an opponent, and then he fired him as a player in Los Angeles. And he's known as one of the greatest minds in basketball in the last decade. Uh, well, that came into question today when he said that he's going to bring DeAndre Ayton back to all-star level today <laughs> in his opening press conference. <laughs> well, keep in mind, these coaches use press conferences to talk to the team, mm-hmm. and he was probably talking to other teams, maybe wanting to boost his value <laughs> sure. maybe a little bit. Sure. because. You know, one, DeAndre Ayton, we all know, has never been an all-star. Two, he's never been close to being an all-star. And three, he was worse this year than he's ever been before. My boy's controller died multiple times, and he just watched from the sideline. And then when reporters asked him about it, he said, well, what did you want me to do? I don't yeah, know. So I have no business with a player like uh, DeAndre Ayton on my team because he has no motor. Right. Do not come on my team and not play hard. Right. That's that was instilled on me with the grit and grind Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know we'll see how this works out. Bogle in, like you said, in stretches was one of the best minds in basketball. Took those Pacer teams to new heights that they hadn't been to since the Reggie Miller days, and really had some good teams together. But just couldn't, like you said, couldn't get past LeBron. So maybe a fresh start with, you know, an aging Kevin Durant and Chris Paul with a young Devin Booker and a decent core. Maybe it's the spot that he finally gets over the hump. I guess we'll time will tell. Yeah, and what you saw is you've, like I said on the podcast a couple weeks ago, Monty Williams is a great team builder, but he's not been able to get a good team to be great. Yeah, Frank Vogel can come into a great, a good team and make them great. He is right. good enough as a X's and O's coach and good enough in the locker room to get the most out of any player that's on that team, and that's mm-hmm. what Phoenix needs. Yeah, I agree 100%. To get them to the next level, <clears throat> of which we have game three, Going on right now between the Denver Nuggets and your and the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. Series tied 1-1. Game one was a bully fest. Denver used their length, their size. I mean, their first, like, 16 of the first 21 points came in the paint. 12 from Aaron Gordon in the first quarter when he was just backing down smaller guards. Game two, the Heat role players came alive the other night. Duncan Robinson, back. Craig Martin, back. Guys had monster games as they returned, shot the ball much better after I think Struess and Craig Martin were a combined one for 17 in game Cody one. Martin. I let it go once. I can't let Thanks. it go twice. Cody Martin. They're, they're twins, man. That's easy to mix up. But the <clears throat> other twin is not named Craig. It's named Caleb. I said Caleb both times, dog. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah, I said Caleb. You said Craig. <laughs> no, I said Caleb. I'm Craig. That's my middle name. Caleb Martin. Anyway, the Martin fella. And Struess combined one for 17. Can't it couldn't hit anything in game one. Came back in game two. What was a good basketball game. 
And it felt like the Heat just said, all right, you know, Jokic, Jokic, you're going to get your your numbers, but nobody else is going to beat us. And for the third time in the playoffs, the Joker is going for 40-plus. And in those games, the Nuggets are now 0-3. Yeah, so the the Miami Heat did what the – the Lakers tried to do against Jokic in that first game. And what, uh, who did they play in the second round? Uh, see, they were the first seed. Phoenix tried yeah. to do. Phoenix had real success in one game just saying, you can shoot any shot you want, but you're not going to find cutters going to the – and what they did, that's what uh, Miami did in the last game. And they had a tremendous amount of success. They had another huge fourth quarter uh, seven times in the history of the NBA has a team um, come back from seven in seven games, come back from a 10 or more point lead deficit. Let me start over. Shoot. All right, here we go. Seven times in NBA history, it has happened. Rusty, reboot me here. Just, just press your <laughs> okay. screen. Reboot you me. Marble yeah. mouth here. <laughs> yeah. So for the first time in NBA history, the Heat are the only team in NBA history to come back from a fourth quarter deficit of more than ten points seven times in a postseason. Yeah, that's wild. What a stat. Yeah, I'm glad I got that out finally. <laughs> I was yeah. trying really hard. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Yeah, it wasn't for lack of effort. No. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so tonight is game three, and I think I read – and by the way, thank you very much. It is Caleb Martin. Cody Martin plays for the Hornets. I knew I was right. Anyway, I digress. But you weren't saying Caleb. I swear, we're going to roll the tape back. And oh, let we're going to roll the know. tape back. We're going to roll the tape back. So, They're twins. Yeah, that's what They're I said. They're one of, them, one of the Martin twins that plays <laughs> – the Martin twin that plays for the Heat. But 80% of the teams in the NBA Finals that win game three win the series. So this is a pivotal big game tonight uh for yeah. uh, the series going forward yeah and it's in miami it's the first <clears throat> game in miami and so i think that they'll split here again i mm. thought that the nuggets would win in six or seven i definitely don't think that the heat retain home field advantage and win in six uh i think that it's been possible all postseason long that miami loses at home uh, they've done that several times, you know, notoriously in the Eastern Conference Finals. It seemed like neither Boston nor Miami wanted to win a home game. No. So uh, I don't think Miami has a very strong home court advantage and Denver has no. an ultimate home court advantage. And so, I f- yeah, I think I still feel good about my Nuggets and six prediction. I think the size is too much. I think they're they're just going to be too talented. I love me some Jimmy Butler. He's hard to put out in the playoffs. I'm not not discrediting that, but I agree. The Nuggets have a stark advantage with going from you know six feet of, from uh, above sea level to almost 5,100 feet above sea level, and I mean that matters. Even when you have a couple of days in between, that that that, that matters. That you know th- that altitude slows you down. It burns the lungs. It makes a big difference. So I, I agree. I think that I think that the the Nuggets and the Heat will split because Jimmy Butler, right? They feel like the team of destiny this year. They're the eight seed. 
they beat the top three teams in the in the in the Eastern Conference to get here. They had an, a, been a miracle run to get to the finals. They feel like the team of destiny, and those teams are always hard to bet against. But we're talking about the Nuggets here, who are well coached. They play well. They've got a generational talent at center and some pretty good pieces around it. And then it's Jimmy Butler and a bunch of guys who wouldn't be starting anywhere else but Miami. But they are in Miami. This is heat culture. Do not count them out. Mm-hmm. Never count them out. They've, they're showing you time and time again. We went through it last podcast. How many players were drafted there? Yeah. How many players were undrafted, signed there? And then Jimmy Butler. That's what you've got on your team. Yeah. And Kyle Lowry, who's not much of a factor anymore. Mm-hmm. So count out the heat at your own yeah. peril. Yeah, you know? at your own risk, which yeah. they got momentum. That was their first win at Denver since 2016. I mean, that's a I massive that. momentum shift. Massive you, momentum. I'd kind of take that with a grain of, a grain of salt, though, because you only play one time in Denver every year. Yeah, still. I mean, it's still for seven. conference team. That's seven games. You think in seven games, and you know, one of those teams would find a way to win. That's that's fair, but don't look at the Grizzlies' record against Boston if you want to just talk about <laughs> sure. cross cross conference matchups here when you only play a handful of times every year. Yeah, and then one of them this year was that Christmas that we played them or New Year. Then uh, we just got worked. Well, we played them no, early on in Christmas. the season. Yes, Warriors yeah, we, for Christmas. We played them early on in the season, and mm-hmm. uh, me and friend of the podcast Zach Jones went, and it was one of the Grizzlies. What? Five loss, home losses all year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I uh, won't dwell on that too much. Watch game three. Uh, I hope you all are watching it and then continue to watch the NBA. But, Drew, speaking of viewerships, I think we're doing a pretty good job here. College baseball owes us a debt of gratitude. Have you seen well, some I mean, of the, I knew that anyways. Right. But have you seen some of the viewership numbers that came out uh, about college baseball, the regionals that happened this past weekend? No, I haven't. So this was the most watched regionals on ESPN flat platforms in over a decade. Viewership was up 37% from 2022. I mean, that's a massive, massive lift. People were yeah, tuning it in. Is. There was great games. There was great venues. It was a and really, I, really competitive regionals. And I don't want to like take too much credit because both of our teams stink, but imagine if you had <laughs> oh, the yeah. other two Mississippi teams in there, what the yeah. ratings would have been. Of course, Ole Miss and Mississippi State fans of their baseball team are fans of college baseball as a whole, so you probably got them anyways. A lot of the, a lot of uh, us, you and I, a lot of the people yeah. I follow on Twitter, we're watching anyway, but just imagine those casual fans of the two flagship programs of college baseball or some of the, the biggest followings in all of college baseball. It would have been unbelievable. Right. And so uh, I picked a couple good upsets. Uh, Same. We both picked Southern Miss to come out of their uh, regional against Auburn. Mm -hmm. What we did not expect is for Auburn to go 0-2 in their regional with an opening round loss to uh, Penn. Penn, yeah. Yeah, UPenn out of the Ivy League handed Auburn an opening round loss. It was the Ivy League's first ever win in a regional of all time. And not only did they beat Auburn, but they turned around and beat – Whoever, who was it that beat Southern Miss? Samford. 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 Yeah, Yeah, Samford. That's what I said. This isn't a Caleb Caleb Cody situation. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and Southern had to come out of the loser's bracket, which is tough to get in that side of the bracket. But I tell you what makes it a little easier, though, 
is you got to beat Penn twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. I uh, picked, uh, you know, I got eight of the 16 teams, right? Which, you know, those longtime listeners of the podcast know for me, that's pretty daggum good. Hey, if you go 50, 50, that's, that's <laughs> astonishing. You should, you should get that framed up on your wall, get a plaque or something. I think I will. I've got it sitting right here. It's nice and neat. I think I will. But, uh, we got Wake Forest and Alabama went chalk there. Both teams at one seeds one. I picked Miami. You picked Texas. You said Texas had the talent to come out. So Texas, uh, is facing Stanford in Palo Alto this weekend. And that one, I picked Texas A&M. Or I don't know if I officially picked them. I didn't make a bracket, but I, I spoke during Rusty's. Mm-hmm. I said watch A&M, and A&M Tried. had it, you know. Mm-hmm. And up until, you know, it came to a win. They forced a, a game seven, and um, Stanford, just Stanford beat them. With it. Yeah. yeah. LSU held court in their home at Alex Box Stadium, beating Oregon State, which is a clash of titans. LSU came out of that. I picked West Virginia. Uh, they tried, but they did not quite Failed. have the firepower to overcome Miserably. Kentucky and got pummeled in their last game. I think it was like 12 to nothing. Just got absolutely just. Yeah, jerked. they didn't even make the final two. Yeah. <laughs> so got dirt rolled by Kentucky. Yeah, it ended up being Kentucky and Indiana. Yeah. Uh, then Southern Miss came out of the Auburn Regional. Uh, I picked Clemson. Drew, you picked Tennessee. You didn't trust Clemson, and Clemson Clemsoned once yep. again. UT. One day you'll learn. One day I'll learn. Yeah, I was trying to uh, get some viewership from uh, Lauren and Stacy there, I guess. Uh, Florida came out of the Gainesville region, their home region. South Carolina came out of the Columbia regional. I picked Campbell there, and they did not pull it Probably out. Probably South Carolina because that was yeah. a really tough two seed. Yeah, they had and Campbell they ran and the NC table. State. They had they had two tough teams in there, right. and they ran the table mm-hmm. undefeated. So. Uh, CCU, same thing, man. They they were in it until that last game, and Duke just bullied them. It was eleven to nothing. I think the final was like twelve to three or something. It just was yeah. an ugly, ugly baseball game. Almost went. Glad I didn't. Uh, Virginia came out at Charlottesville, so they'll host Duke this weekend in yeah, Charlottesville. Yeah, I was really hope. I was really hoping Eastern East Carolina would have won yeah. that, but it came uh, down to a final game, and they just it wasn't gonna happen. One of the bigger upsets of the weekend in the in the Nashville Regional, Oregon comes out of the the Nashville Regional. Vanderbilt did not come out of the regionals for the first time in a while. Just did not play well. Oregon played uh, Xavier outplayed them, outpitched them, and then Oregon ultimately ended up winning the regional. Did uh, Vandy win a game in that regional at all? No, I don't think so. Or did they beat Eastern Illinois? I think they might have won their first. Yeah, they probably one. won the four one. They beat yeah, Eastern Illinois, and then lost to Xavier twice. Mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Um, yeah, because so, Oregon yeah. was the undefeated team in that. Yeah, Oregon came out of that one. They'll face another big upset. Oklahoma State did not win their home regional there in Stillwater. I picked Dallas Baptist DBU, but Oral Roberts. Came out yeah. of Stillwater, man. What? A, that's the four seed. That's a big win for that program. Yeah. Has a four seed ever won at all? Was Fresno a four seed or Coastal a four seed when they won it? No, Coastal wasn't. I don't know about Fresno. I'd have to look that up. But I, I want to say Fresno may have been a four seed, but I could. I'll look. Wrong. I'll yeah. look while you talk. But that was that was crazy. That was upset city right there. I believe Oklahoma State went zero and two in their own regional. Um, Oral Roberts, a four seed advancing in a regional, 
is something that has rarely, rarely ever happened. Uh, and good on them. I mean, it's a good story. I'm not sure who they pair with, but I'm probably going to pick against them to go to Omaha. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to see that team in Omaha. You know, it's kind of like I say with the uh, March Madness. You know, give me the cute upsets, the small schools to start with, but when it comes down to it, give me the best basketball. In in Omaha, I just don't believe that a team like Oral Roberts would actually compete, so give me a team that would compete. Yeah. So uh, who do they match up with in the Supers? Oral Roberts plays Oregon at uh, out in Eugene, and it's a beautiful yeah. stadium. If you hadn't looked it up, look it up. It's actually a nice stadium out there. And neither of those teams do anything for me when you go to Omaha. No. But if you're Oregon, you're just happy as a clam. What regional do they make it out of? Uh, Oregon. Uh-huh. The Vanderbilt one. They were the ones That's that right. won in Nashville. Right. Mm-hmm. So you go up, you think you're going to, you know, probably lose, you know, to Vanderbilt. But then you wake up on Monday morning and you're like, well, we won the dang thing. And Oklahoma State got beat. So we're going to get to host against a four seed to make it to the college world series. Mm-hmm. That's just a dream come true. Yeah. And Fresno state was the only four seed in a regional in 2008 to win the title. Uh, all time four seeds account for two. There's been two four seeds in 2008 and 2012 to make it to Omaha. All right. 2012. I have no idea. Uh, I don't either. Let's look and see. Arizona won it all that year. <laughs> Let's see. It came down to the. Take your time there, buckets. I'm trying to find it. Man, here. All right. So Arizona <laughs> beat South Carolina in. The College World Series for the for the national championship. Uh, the college, no, that's not right. Yeah, I guess it was. So the so the teams that made Omaha that year. UCLA, it was Florida, South Carolina, Kent State, yeah. Arkansas, Florida State, Arizona, Stony, Stony Brook, Brook, UCLA. Mm-hmm. Was yeah, it Kent State or it. Stony Brook? <laughs> It was Stony Brook. Stony Kendrick Brook was the Miami four seed, Florida yeah. Regional, yeah. and then beat LSU in in uh, Baton Rouge mm-hmm. to go to UCLA. Played UCLA in the first round. Yep. Where was Ole Miss in the 2007 regional? Mississippi State was the two seed in Tallahassee. Yeah, we lost to Stanford and then uh, uh you did Stanford. You yeah. Uh, I don't know how how it shook out, but in that regional was Florida State, Mississippi State, Samford, and UAB. Yeah. And Ole Miss was oh this I remember this year we were the three seed in College Station, uh, and TCU came out. That regional was Texas A&M, TCU, Ole Miss, and Dayton. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, we lost to. Samford and then Samford again. We beat UAB. We lost to Samford twice that year. Florida State came out of that. One. Yeah, it's Samford rough. had her number. Yeah. So, who uh, ended up yeah, winning that one? That 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 year, Arizona. Arizona beat South Carolina. That was after South Carolina had gone back to back, and they went for their third, and they lost to Arizona. Okay. 
But if you're and if you're Oregon and Oral Roberts, like you still feel really good about that, especially Oregon, because then if you win, you are paired up with the uh, Indiana State mm. matchup against yeah, because that's TCU. So this is the one we're going to talk about this a little bit. So Indiana State, this has kind of been a, a evolving, cool story. Indiana State won. They were the one seed. They held court. They beat uh, Iowa and North Carolina to win. Uh, the Terra Hute, I think I'm saying that right. Probably not because I butcher everything. Uh, Divi- uh, regional. But instead of being able to host this weekend, they have no availability around them because they're hosting the Special Olympics up there. That's a big thing that they host there. Big production there. And so all the hotels and all the lodging and all the area is packed with people who have already been planning to come here. And so Indiana State conceded. TCU is going to host in Fort Worth and the Lipton drinking club. It's a, a Twitter account that is a, that supports the TCU Horn frog baseball program tweeted out a link from their profile that blew up and went and went national went viral. Uh, please join us at the Lipton drinking club and donate to the Indiana special Olympics. Nothing can replace hosting a super regional, but we sure can help support our next foes in a different way. Click link. And donate, gang, frogs for six. So in a very classy move, a TCU group raised a ton of money, was on national news, supporting the team. So that that was a pretty cool story that came out of an otherwise kind of a crappy deal. Yeah, so that is great. Uh, It sucks for Indiana State, and I know that they couldn't have hosted it in, in Terre Haute, but, I mean, I just got to looking up the uh just the closest colleges to Terre Haute, Indiana. And Bloomington, Indiana, who was Indiana was playing baseball last weekend with the possibility of hosting a regional this weekend, is one and a half hours away from Terre Haute. Why could you not play that regional in Bloomington, Indiana at the University of Indiana? Yeah. I mean I hate it because I mean, in my lifetime, I cannot remember Indiana State for anything other than Larry Bird. Yeah. Uh, and that's not my lifetime, but that's all I know about them. Yeah. And so for you to make such a run to where you are the one seed in a regional, you're hosting your own regional, and you just need one team to lose, and you're hosting a regional in Terre Haute, never been done before to my knowledge, and because of a scheduling problem for a good cause, I mean, nobody is objecting. You sh- I'm not, nobody will ever say you should there. Right. But do them a solid and let them play that game in Indiana or in Louisville. Louisville is not far away. Five uh, eight, Indianapolis you- is not far away. There are places with lots of hotels and an empty baseball stadium to where the home team yeah. can make the easy drive. Instead of rewarding TCU, who has hosted a dozen regionals, yeah, at least a half dozen super regionals, who's I mean, if you if you're not happy with them not hosting a super regional this year, just wait a couple of years, you'll be right. there. Yeah, but to take that away from from Indiana State, it just baffles me. Just do a little bit more legroom. I know yeah. TCU was available. They knew they had a good team. They were planning on 
possibly being able to host with one upset. But, you know, Indiana had the same scenario as a two seed in the Lexington Regional. They could have easily upset Kentucky and hosted a regional possibly with some help across the bracket. They were prepared for that, I'm sure. So it's just make that phone call. Let it be in Bloomington to where Indiana State can have a home field experience in a super regional. You know, Campbell was set to host at a minor league baseball stadium there in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So I'm sure there had to be a minor league stadium somewhere close by that they could have made it work if the team was not there. But you hate to see it for the kids. Like you said, this is their one shot to host ever. And maybe who who knows when they'll do it again. Maybe they will be a perennial powerhouse. You don't know, but you feel for the kids. Again, you don't hate the calls, like you said, Drew, but it's tough. And, you know, TCU is a hot baseball team. They, they put up over three touchdowns on Arkansas in two games. And now they've got home field advantage. So, yeah. I mean, you are, you're from South Carolina. What would have happened if Coastal Carolina would have, would have won their regional and who were they paired up with? The Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. If they, what if, if those would have flipped? Oh my gosh, it's awesome, man. Uh, you know, would they would they have taken that regional away from Coastal Carolina due to hotels or nope. No, because Coastal Carolina is known as a baseball school. They've yep. got the pedigree there. I feel like the work wasn't done to on Indiana State's behalf by the NCAA. This is the ultimate we're just playing on house money, right? Like we're just we're we're just glad to be here. Like I'm sure Coastal made provisions to where in our busy season with all the tourons, I mean tourists here right now, we made they, I'm sure there was provisions made to host, right? They didn't pull a Kentucky and just say, "Oh crap, we got to put everybody in dorms because of a country music festival." I feel like I, uh, Indiana State was just glad to be here and didn't think that they would pull it out, right? And host a super regional and now here they are having to go to Fort Worth. Yeah, and so Indiana State was paired up uh, in the Supers with the Arkansas Regional. Yep. And so you're looking down there, if Wright State would have won, you know, well, let's see, uh, TCU was the two seed, so. Two seed. Yeah. So Indiana State has, yeah, well, if Arizona pulls it out, you know, do you send Indiana State to Arizona? Yeah. Yeah, they're a three seed, man. Like. yeah. Indiana State has taken it very well, almost to the point it makes me mad. Like, I'd just be throwing an absolute <laughs> fit. You know, we brought up, uh, and we'll we'll get to it if you want to tackle it now, we can. We we You brought up the possibility that Southern Miss hosting Tennessee, will they move that to Knoxville instead of in Hattiesburg? And that would have just been stupid uh, because Southern Miss has a historic baseball program. They're great. This is the second year in a row that they have hosted a super regional. Uh, this seed as a two seed last this year is a two seed. Last year is a one seed coming out of their own regional. They hosted a super regional. Um, ask me how that went, please. So yeah, there was uh, there was <laughs> the talk trying to decide where it was going to go, and you, and Tennessee ball Twitter has been nasty about it this week. There's been a lot of receipts that I've seen being saved if Southern pulls this out, and like you said, it's a historic ballpark. They got a retiring coach. They sell out every home game. Tennessee They've earned doesn't. It. They've, They've earned, earned it. it. 
Tennessee has done nothing to earn this. They've had two good years, and last year they were the best team in college baseball until it mattered. And then so, it's their fault, and, and real quick, it's their fault that we can't celebrate on the field anymore. So they had guys flipping the bird to the right fielders, rounding first, and doing all these massive celebrations as an embodiment of their a-hole coach, and we can't celebrate on the field anymore. So answer me this, because I'm unsure about it. What was the tiebreaker? So Southern and Tennessee were both two seeds. Mm -hmm. So it came down to something. Um, Was it RPI? Was it, I mean, common opponents? Do you know? I read it was attendance numbers, that it was attendance. A percentage of capacity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, then, good. Tennessee fans can just go rub their head in the sand for all I care. Touch grass, I don't care. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's such like, Tennessee baseball fans and Tennessee football fans to think that given the same situation from two different parties that they deserve it. Like, Oh, we have, we're both two seeds. Give it to us. We're Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee was the 12th RPI and Southern was 17th. Yeah. So it it was attendance. I read that it was attendance because Southern Miss consistently sold out games and then Tennessee was barely 70, 80% full for most of their home games. And so are you going to put it in a region or in a, in a stadium that's going to be, you know, three quarters full, or do you want it to be in a region where it is jam packed? There are people everywhere. You know, they've got that little bluff out in the outfield. People will be sitting. There will be a ton of people in Hattiesburg for these games. Yeah. Pete Taylor park will be rocking and, I will be a mustard buzzard this weekend because Same. I just I hate the arrogance of Tennessee fans. Uh, I hate the the how they always want the handout, think they deserve yeah. something, uh, despite the fact that at best they're equals. Yeah. Uh, and Southern Miss won their conference. Tennessee didn't. Uh, Southern, Southern Miss has been to Omaha. And 18, Tennessee's forty-one and nineteen. They got a better record. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't have any patience for it. Uh, lots of people want me and want us to root for the SEC. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Go mustard I buzzards. Think, I think it'd be cool, and I'll probably get you know some hate from this from some of my friends, but I think it'd be cool for the third year in a row for that trophy to come back to the great state of Mississippi. That'd be, well, that'd you be know, cool. You know what will happen. They will miss the tournament next year. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's a kiss of death, man, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, join the club. Uh, and you got to so, do it right. You got to take a uh, you got to take a victory lap, and sometimes they last two years. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you're I'm looking at this, and who would I want to win out of the remaining teams? I mean, Southern's up there just by default, really, because I'm not yeah. going to really root for any SEC teams. Other teams don't do anything for me, and so uh, yeah, I guess I'll root for Southern the rest of the way. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could be a mustard buzzer for a couple weeks. Yeah. So, uh, next we had the Kentucky regional, uh, Kentucky come out of it. Like you said, uh, with win, uh, final win over Indiana, the three seed made it to the final matchup with Kentucky got one matchup and in a final game seven, Kentucky won pretty decisively in that game. Uh, LSU swept their way through their regional to, for a Kentucky LSU matchup, uh, which will be in Alex box stadium in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yep. Do you think Kentucky stands a chance? 
And no, not at all. I don't think so at all. They they rested Paul Skeens for this reason. Paul Skeens went the distance in game one against Tulane. Everybody kind of questioned it, like, what are we doing here? But he went out and threw a gem, a nine-inning, 123-pitch Yeah, he didn't assault. throw a lot of pitches. Yeah. No, an assault on Tulane. They could rest their bullpen. They could rest him for this weekend. It was a, I mean, everybody questioned it on the back end. It was like, you know, that makes sense. <laughs> they saved yeah. a lot of arms. Yeah, I mean – their problem is their bullpen. Your mm-hmm. your problem is not Paul Skeens, Mm-mm. and you're really not risking much by only throwing 120 pitches. Yeah. Uh, when you know and that you're playing. When, yeah. Real go quick, ahead. Especially when pitch 123 was a 101 mile an hour fastball to end the yeah. game. <laughs> he had plenty of life left in that arm. Yeah. Um. The so, next one we had. Well, so we've been oh, through them. That we're setting the stage now. We've got all of our super regionals set. Now, who's going to Omaha? Drew, I'll ask you, and we can kind of weigh in. So we've got Wake Forest, Alabama. I think that, you know, Wake Forest uh, went 50-10 and 10 this year. They mowed their way through what we thought was a tougher regional for the number mm-hmm. one overall seed, drawing Maryland as your two seed. Mm-hmm. Um, they mowed through it. They did not check up. They They put that sucker on the ground, and they just killed everybody. I think they kill Alabama. Yeah. Uh, they're the 16th seed, uh, 16th overall seed. They got, they went through a regional that included Boston College, Troy, and Nichols. So it doesn't really tell me much about them. I think Wake Forest beats them. I think Wake Forest sweeps them. Alabama's a bit of a Cinderella story with, you know, the coach getting fired and they've they've made a run to now the Super Regionals. Could they steal one game? Maybe, but Wake Forest pitching is so deep. They've got. Of the top 10 pitchers, like three or four are Wake Forest, Demon Deacons, consistently on D1 Baseball's list. Wake Forest is just way too deep. I agree. Bama might take one, but it's likely a Wake Forest sweep. Yeah. Uh, then we got Texas Stanford uh, in Palo Alto. Uh, Texas, who may be following the Ole Miss script from last year, uh, win in Coral Gables, go try to win a Super on the road. Um, do you have any feel – I don't trust Stanford. I don't trust Pac-12 teams. This late in the tournament, I don't trust Pac-12 teams not named Arizona. So Stanford's uh, shown that they can get there. I really don't trust them in Omaha, but um, I think this is a toss-up. This could this will probably go three games. This is a toss-up. Texas, like you said last week's episode, is too talented to be a two seed and not hosting. They're a deep team. I trust the big the Big Twelve a little bit more when it comes to baseball and like if press me I think I'd pick Texas right now. So we've already previewed LSU Kentucky. We think LSU LSU's wins that. Going, yeah. We both want Southern Miss to win. Do you think that they will beat Tennessee? Yes, I think they will beat beat Tennessee. They're pitching really well. They're healthy at the right time. Um, they struggled a little bit during the regional, and I think that's going to right the ship a little bit. I think Southern Miss could beat Tennessee. Yeah, Southern Miss. This Southern Miss team isn't as good as the Southern Miss team last year. Uh, they're missing their Friday Saturday guy yeah. from last year. Um, it'll be tricky. Uh, it's emotions in baseball. It's riding the wave. Nobody's really riding a bigger wave than Tennessee right now after that 14 inning win against Clemson in the second game or second round game in Clemson Regional. Mm-hmm. Um, they just parlayed that into a sweep of the whole regional. I think Tennessee wins, but I'm I'm picking it. I, I, my heart says Southern Miss. 
Are you taking, so is your official pick Tennessee? Is your pick? Yes. Okay, yes. all right. So that's one a little different on. But, hey, speaking of Tennessee losing pitching, did you see Ben Joyce's first, like, eight pitches in the big leagues were 100-plus miles an hour? Like, good Lord. This time <laughs> last year he was pitching in college, mm-hmm. and now he's already been called up by the Angels because he does nothing but throw absolute gas. Absolutely. And just mowing down professional hitters with 103 104 mile an hour fastballs. <laughs> it does, you don't have to have much. It's like being 7 foot 5 in the NBA. Yeah. Like if you throw that hard, if yeah. you're that tall in basketball, yeah. you're just going to have a career. Yeah, and 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 sometimes like Billy Koch is the name that comes to mind. He pitched for Toronto back in the early 2000s. He was a closer Billy for Wagner. Yeah, that was just they just threw gas. Koch was one they caught up to after a while, but Bobby like Bobby. some of these like Randy Johnson made a career off the throwing gas, just throwing heat, that big sweeping curve. Ben yeah, Johnson figured after, out a, even, ben, if Ben Joyce can figure out an off speed, he will pitch for a long time. Yeah. Even as uh Randy Johnson got older though, he learned how to pitch professionally uh with his stuff Very started true. diminishing. Uh Indiana State versus TCU. Um I think TCU wins it at home, I'll be honest with you. I agree. I think if this had been in Indiana they had a fighting chance, but TCU is a is a force this year. I mean, they're scoring and runs by the fucking bats fold. are hot. Yeah. So they um, closed out the regional by scoring 13 and 20 in back-to-back games. So against Arkansas, against a good SEC baseball team. Yeah. Um, you got the this game will be aired on National Geographic. <laughs> uh, the Oregon Ducks versus the Oral Roberts. What's their mascot, Rusty? Ooh, I'll look it up real quick. We haven't done this in a while. Name oh, that have. mascot. Uh, the Monarchs. Bi- no, like are they the Friars or something? Gold, golden like, Eagles. The Golden Eagles. They're a Christian college, so I figured they it was some kind of monk or something. What's well, a Golden Eagle? I mean, yeah, something yeah. difficult about that, I'm sure. But I, yeah, this one is, I don't know. I have no idea about these two baseball teams. <laughs> yeah, Oregon wins. They're the higher Oregon, seed. They're the higher they're seed. seed. Yeah. You know uh, what? You, you, I, I tell you what. You take Oregon, I'll take Oral Roberts just to be a little bit different there and see okay. if the four C can ride that magic. I'll, you know, I'll, I was actually thinking about taking Oral Roberts anyways. Destiny. Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but uh, next we've got the two seed out of the Coastal Carolina Regional, the Duke Blue Devils versus Virginia Commonwealth or just Virginia Cavaliers, the Cavaliers. Commonwealth of Virginia, mm-hmm. the University of Virginia Cavaliers. One so, of the first states in our union. They're a really good baseball team. They played this year. If we were a good podcast, we'd know what their record was against one another this year. But UVA is the one seed. They made a light work of their regional with Oklahoma and East Carolina, and it swept all the way through. I'm taking UVA. Duke looked good against CCU, but UVA is 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 not CCU. Yeah, they're a perennial powerhouse in college baseball. Yep. Um. Yeah, I'd take Virginia in that. And then finally, we rounded out with SEC East foes, Florida versus South Carolina. Both teams started off super hot. One team ended super hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida did lose a game in their regional. Thought they might get put out. They lost their first game. Uh, not their first game, but they did lose to UConn in the... Right? Yeah, uh, they lost to UConn. Yeah. Uh, yes, they did not. They beat Florida A&M, then lost to UConn, and then beat won their Texas way back Tech out. twice. Yep. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Give me, give me Florida. Yep, they swept South Carolina back in April at Columbia, thirteen three, five two, seven to five. 
Florida's hot right now. They've got some some depth there. I, I I agree. I'm taking Florida there as well. So we've got two that are different. I took Oral Roberts. You took Oregon. I took Southern Miss, the Mustard Buzzards. You took UT. So we'll see. I'll be happy yeah. to be wrong on that one. Yeah. We'll see what happens uh, when we get to Omaha. One last baseball thought going to MLB just for a second. Terrible news out of Arlington, Texas. Um, Jacob deGrom, NFL, uh, MLB future Hall of Famer, uh, has torn his UCL again, will need Tommy John surgery, and will be out for another year. Um, did you watch his press conference today? It's t- it was a tough watch, man. Uh, it's just a grown man just broken because of news because he really has not pitched more than a handful of games. I think in the last three years, the most games he's pitched is 11 uh, in a season, and it's all been because of injury. And he was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball. You look back at his last full season he had as a Met, he had, I think, a 1.7 ERA on the season, but had a losing record because the team was so bad. Uh, he won the Cy Young with a losing record. Yeah. Uh, he lost a ton of games, uh, giving up one or two runs, earned runs on the on the game. And he was just a broken man. And you could tell it was a guy who people can say whatever they want to. You know, he's rich. He's, he's made for life, whatever. That's a man who loves baseball. He loves pitching. He loves being in a clubhouse. And he just signed a huge contract. And he feels like he's letting his teammates down. He feels like he's letting the front office down, who really took a risk on him with that contract. Uh, I think it was like five years, $160, 75000000 million. Uh, just feels like he let everybody down. And so uh, get well soon, DeGrom. Uh, when he's on, man, he is lights out. He's fun to watch. Yeah, agreed. Uh, hopefully he gets back. Throwing some of the gas that he used to, like you said, Recruited when he's on. in out of high school to play shortstop. Right. And went to, where did he go to college at? Don't have any idea. Stetson College. Stayed in Florida. Okay. And so he was recruited as a shortstop. His coach said, you can throw pretty hard. Let's pitch you. And the rest was history. The rest was history. He was part of that one-two punch with Cindergaard, with Thor out in New York for a long time. And right. Just it seems from all accounts seems like a good dude, and we're we're pro health and pro recovery here on this podcast. So get well soon. Yeah, Rusty, you got anything else for us before we uh, turn this sucker off and go watch the NBA finals? That's all I got, man. Uh, we had a jam packed episode to get it in an hour and a half. I'm quite impressed by both of us, as we can be a bit long winded, as well documented by our friends, significant others, podcast listeners, <laughs> family. You know, it's not a it's just a shocker there. Uh, but yeah, great episode, man. Oh, Enjoyed it. Which I got? have one thing. So, uh, this is a college baseball note relating to Ole Miss. Um, you know, to set the groundwork, uh, the, uh, state of Mississippi only allows government employees to a maximum of a four years on a contract. Are you aware of this? I am aware. Of so, this. uh, football coaches, basketball coaches, baseball coaches at all universities in the state of Mississippi, have to abide by this. It's one of the tricky things when you're talking about a Lane Kiffin contract when he's, you know, flirting with Auburn or flirting with wherever. Uh, 
it was always said, you know, you can only sign a four-year deal at Ole Miss. Well, true, you can sign a four-year year deal, but you can have automatic transfer, automatic rollovers. You know, we'll guarantee you seven years or whatever. Right. Well, uh, after this season in baseball, a uh, one year after um, winning the national championship, the College World Series in Omaha. Ole Miss athletic director Keith Carter decided not to roll over Mike Bianco to a full four-year contract going forward. Mm. What this does uh, is it allows the buyout to be strong, uh, smaller in the case that they decide to fire him next season, after next season. Trying to fire him now for how many years? Well, last year, th- I mean, this is what happened, you know, two years ago. Ole Miss ended the season with an with a super regional loss in Arkansas. Uh, somewhat disappointing year. They did not roll over Mike Bianco's contract. He was only working with a three year contract at that point instead of the full four. He went out and won the College World Series. Uh, he would have gotten fired, and they would have only owed him two years worth of money. And so, to me, that sounds pretty dirty because I feel like they did this with Andy Kennedy too. Uh, they did not. They decided not to roll over his contract, and what that ended up resulting in is players getting poached off their team because they're like, "Well, your coach is not did not get his contract roll over, so they're getting ready to fire him. They're getting their buyout in order so that they can fire him after next season." And we could not get any players. We lost players out of high school. We lost players into the portal. Couldn't get any players out of the portal. Really tanked the whole thing. And so, if you're gonna fire a coach, fire a coach. Don't clip his wings first you know that's my opinion Mm -hmm. however they did get a player uh one of the top ranked outfielders in college baseball this year uh he was the socon player of the year tracing hughes uh he's a center fielder that played at i'm forgetting the name shoot um small college uh Oh, man. Rusty. Mercer. Played at Mercer. He batted three, uh, 438 this year with 11 home runs for Mercer. So it's a big pickup, and it's a, it's a position of need. Outfielders are always a position of need in college baseball. So um, big pickup. Hopefully Mike Bianco can overcome his wings being clipped by Keith Carter by not having his contract rolled over. But that's the last note I had. I did find two things I didn't want to talk about real quick. Number one, in the last hour, it broke that the Memphis Grizzlies have contacted the Cleveland Cavalier, Cavaliers to see the availability of one Karis Levert. I don't love it. He's a career okay. 41% three-point shooter. I don't want He's a uh, – who do I compare him to? He's kind of like a less good – um, Jamal Crawford, he's very ISO dominant. Kind of the ball stops with him. He's a big wing, uh, who can shoot the three, but he's never been one to really work in an offense from what no. I've seen. And he's always been on losing teams. Which but that's it. He's never been. He's never been that guy on even a losing team. It doesn't. I don't uh, think except it for this him. year, apparently, yeah, uh, obviously, I mean, you know. But we know the reason that the Cavs were much better this year is one Donovan Spada Mitchell, but. Right. Um, I, I think we could do better. I think like you make these big guys tell you no before you start talking to the, to the, the Karis Leverts of the world. 
And then the last one, I am I'm a little fed up with Adam Silver. Just a little fed up with how he's handling this John Morant situation. You know, he came out right before the finals and said, we don't want this to be a distraction to the players, so we're going to wait until after the finals, which creates a distraction because since Sunday, right. all they've talked about is John Morant and Kendrick Perkins. If he I saw one, more one time thing says after, that, after the uh, Denver win in game one, it said Denver's only three wins away from us finding out what happens to John. Right. And if <laughs> Perk comes on TV one more time and says that John needs to be traded out of Memphis, I'm going to stick Zebo on him, but – Tonight, before the game, they had uh, Stephen A. Smith interviewed Adam Silver again, and he said, I get a little nervous when people talk about sending a message. Sometimes it implies that you may not be fair to that individual player. You want to portray a positive image in terms of our players in this league. Like, if you're not going to if you're not going to go ahead and announce the suspension, let us know what it is. Stop talking talking about it. Don't be a distract. You're being the distraction now. You're not like he feels like if this feels like that one kid in class who has that bit of gossip and he won't tell anybody, but he's letting you know that he knows. It's like, know. just tell us, man. Like, right. I, yeah, just tell us. At this point, if you're going to go on and do an interview with Stephen A. Smith and say bull crap like that, just tell us and get it over with. Man, quit making this a spectacle after saying, I don't want this to be a spectacle. I don't want it to be a distraction to the NBA playoffs or to the NBA championship game in which the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat have worked their whole season to get here. It's a huge accomplishment. I will not solely this moment with John Morant news. Who wants to talk about John Morant? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100%. Don't go on like, well, that was like, what, that was not even a week ago, and now you're talking about it with Stephen A. Smith? Was, yeah, before game one. Let's go. Like, get it over with. Tell us what it is or shut up. Uh, 100% in agreement with you on that. So. All right, I'm, I'm going off the podcast mad. I'm salty now. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Greg Kessinger, former Ole Miss shortstop, made his major league debut tonight for the Houston Astros. At third base, he went over three, but did have a pretty good defensive play. Does nothing for me, but Brett Rooker <laughs> teared it up for the Oakland Athletics and what is otherwise a poverty franchise in front of about 100 people has been fun to watch this year. Yeah, and reminds me of his college days. <laughs> <laughs> Not in front oh. of 100 people, though. <laughs> yeah, no. so. All right, that was a good episode, man. I enjoyed that. Appreciate you being here, Drew. Tell them where they can find us. Yeah, guys, uh, had a good time this week in another episode of the Two Bucks Sports Podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the number Two Bucks Sports Podcast. YouTube, you can find us at Two Bucks Sports Podcast. Uh, Facebook at the Two Bucks Sports Podcast. Uh, send us your questions, leave us a comment, or leave us a review, tell us how we can be better. If you want to be constructive, leave us five stars. If you love us, give us five stars. And uh, we will read all comments, questions, and concerns on the on the podcast. And a uh, special shout-out, special thank you to Cousin Kirk, yeah. who uh, ambushed us tonight uh, and gave his us information we all need to live by. And it's never go home with a stripper named Susan. Suzanne. <laughs> Susan. I mean, either way. Potato, potato. I mean, either way. So. All right, buddy. Enjoyed it. We'll be back here next week with more talk about these. We'll have Super Regionals be wrapped up. We'll talk more about the NBA Finals. We'll have a better idea what direction that's heading, and who knows what else is going to happen in the next week. So tune in this time next week, guys. Bye.